Yippee-ki-yay, movie fans, we're back on Film Frontier today with the film Winchester 73 from 1950. We were excited to see this one at this year's TCM Film Festival. That's right, we saw a new 4K restoration, funding helped by Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese. So thank you to TCM for, for showing these great Western classics. Absolutely, and this one is one of the most important Westerns. Um, it kicked off the 1950s and kind of kicked the Western into another gear into its like most prominent decade in Hollywood. And it was also the uh, first collaboration between, I think, one of the great actor-director combinations, uh, and certainly in the Western, between Jimmy Stewart and Anthony Mann. Um, I'm sure we'll cover more of them in the yes. future because they're kind of unmissable in the genre. Yes, they are essentials to the genre. Mm-hmm. The plot of this one, uh, Winchester 73, as you said, re- released in 1950. Um, it's the story of a shooting contest to win a prized Winchester rifle called One of a Thousand. The rifle ends up going from one ill-fated owner to another as it parallels a cowboy search for the man who killed his father. To seven people, this gun was a magnet, a treasure, a weapon that promised life and dealt out death. For this saga of the West, Universal International has assembled a matchless cast, James Stewart, whose personal feud led to one of the grimmest manhunts ever filmed. Shelley Winters, trigger sharp and dangerous in her own way. Dan Duryea as vicious Waco Johnny Dean, who killed to get the gun. Stephen McNally, brutal, deadly, who wanted the rifle to slaughter men. I mean, it's, it really is, in, in a lot of ways, how people say, like, oh, New York City is a character in the movie, or, you know, whatever. The gun itself, the Winchester 73, is sort of an entity in this movie. It's like a biopic about this gun. Yes, almost. it is. Granted, really, it's about this character's journey, Jimmy Stewart's journey. But it's so threaded in with this gun in a unique storytelling manner yeah, that, it, you, that I've never, really never seen before. No, I mean, I think the first thing you see is like the gun in the store yeah. window. It's mm-hmm. like the first close-up of the movie. One of a thousand, first one I ever see. But, mister, that's a real gun. Heard it took over a year to make it. Yeah, they give him the first President Grant. I'll sure be in good company when I win that one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, this... So that's your star. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even though Jimmy Stewart's name might be on the poster, Winchester 73, I think, it, is going to be the bigger... Yes. The bigger name. That's what everyone remembers. Yeah. <laughs> the script had been around uh, since the 40s. It was re- originally written by uh, Robert L. Richards. Fritz Lang was originally attached to direct. He had some sort of falling out with Universal and, and left the project. Uh, Jimmy Stewart, who became attached, recommended Anthony Mann, who he had seen a man's, uh, an early screening of Mann's Western that also came out in 1950 called The Devil's Doorway, but was yet to be released. Um, he re- I like that. And I also read that they apparently knew each other from the theater in the 30s, so maybe had a relationship there. But anyways, he recommended Mann to uh, take over the job, and that led to uh, Mann bringing in Borden Chase, uh, who is sort of a famed Western screenwriter, to rewrite the script. And that introduced the device of moving, of having the rifle change hands from person to person. 
That would have been interesting without the rifle perspective. I mean, it would have been interesting to see the difference. I don't think it would have been an interesting movie. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It sounds like it would have been pretty standard fare of just this guy searching for a bad guy. Possibly. Searching for a killer sort yeah. of story. I mean, that you've seen many times before. Yes. I mean, Lang is, is a great director, obviously. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, but... Revenge and vengeance is often a main theme of his film, so you can definitely see that. So it may, I'm certain it would have been much more traditional revenge story, mm-hmm. like you're saying. But yeah, I think this the device of the rifle moving around is really interesting, and it sort of gives you a micro view of all the different kind of things you see in a Western, like a poker game and a, yeah. a bank robbery it's and true. the cavalry and the Indians fighting and a shootout at the ranch house with the guys escaping a posse. And Watching that kind of- it, I was sort of thinking of our, our more recent watch, uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and how it covers every scenario yes, like that. Yes. And it does it in an anthology, whereas this is able to do it in a seamless story as the gun changes right, hands between right. all these different Western and types. This could have easily been an anthology. Oh, you know? sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think we can give the gun a name i think it's a MacGuffin. yes the yes famous you know it's like the maltese falcon it's the the holy grail it's the thing that the characters are looking for in the story that doesn't even really matter it's right. just what is leading the characters from one place to another and what brings them into conflict right with each and other. sort of just follows their path in a way yeah. it's like jimmy stewart at one point isn't even following the rifle anymore but it it moves with him, right. you know. It just, but he doesn't know it's there. With another character has it or whatever, as he's chasing Dutch Henry Brown, yes. uh, seeking revenge. Shout out to my dad who loves a MacGuffin. <laughs> Shout out to my dad who loves this movie and introduced it to me. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, so this was one of his favorites from his uh, childhood. It's probably beloved by many dads. Yes, across I think America. so. Yeah, <laughs> movie the world. <laughs> this movie, uh, Jimmy Stewart, at this point in his career. Uh, believe it or not, was uh, kind of struggling. Um, I know he's such a beloved person now, and everyone just thinks of this great film career that he's had. But he had, he had come back from World War II, uh, where he flew over like 20 missions over Germany, and he was looking to change his career. He didn't renew his contract with MGM, which is where he had been prior to the war. And he was looking to change his image. His first movie back, actually, was uh, reunited him with Frank Capra. It was It's a Wonderful Life, which... Was a failure at the time, even though yes. it's probably watched every single year now. Yeah, like around Christmas time, it was nominated for a lot of Oscars, and the critics liked it, but audiences were kind of uh, not really interested mm-hmm. in it, which is surprising because it's so uh, beloved. It is now. a little bit of a downer, though. Yeah, it is, not, definitely is. We're not talking about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's our Christmas movies podcast. <laughs> but anyways, he was doing looking for other projects and. Had several flops between after that. He did rope with Hitchcock in mm. that time period, which was which was a good one. But he he you know had like was it two. It was forty eight. Loved at the time. I don't know if it was. I, it might not have been. It strikes me as something that would have been a flop. I yeah, don't have I can the see that. Information on the that, sort but... of experimental nature yeah. of it. Yeah. So he had had a couple flops, and he was looking to change his image. He wanted to toughen up his image. He also wanted to do a film version of the play Harvey, which he had been starring in. And so Universal wanted to make that, but they couldn't afford to pay his salary, which was $200,000 at the time. So his agent, Lou Wasserman, huge super yeah, agent. There's a building at Universal yes. Studios <laughs> named after him, so it's kind of a big deal. They devised a deal, a two-picture deal, where he would uh, take a percentage of the profits in lieu of his salary. Um, in Lou Wasserman of yes, his salary. Yes, very good. <laughs> 
And that was those two films were Harvey and Winchester 73. And this was one of the first times that was done, right? Yes. That a, an actor got a percentage of the profit. This was the first time it was done. <clears throat> yeah. And it turned out to be extremely profitable. Uh, I'm sure it was a, considered risky, though, yes, at the time. Yes. And, but after this, every actor in town wanted to yeah. do the same deal. Uh, I think, yeah, Stewart's sell, uh, rate was 200000 and I think he ended up making $600,000 off of Winchester 73. So yeah. it was a good move a good for gamble, him. Yeah. yeah. But back to his his image. He had been wanting to play darker, more complex characters, mm-hmm. and he thought this like was... Like his character in Harvey? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, I <laughs> but I love Harvey. Well, I think he just wanted a little more diversity. Audiences at first were skeptical of him playing a cowboy, like a tough cowboy mm-hmm. when this first came out. The only other Western he made before this was Destry Rides Again, which is like a comedy Western mm-hmm. where he doesn't even wear a gun and he talks people out of mm-hmm. mischief and whatnot. But it's I, it's sort of weird to me now to think of people doubting Jimmy Stewart as a cowboy, like growing up after the fact right. when you just associate him with the Western so much. I, I do anyways. Yeah, oh, um, me too, yeah. Borden Chase, who is the screenwriter, commented mm-hmm. that when the picture was given a sneak preview... There had been some titters in the audience at seeing Jimmy Stewart's name in the opening titles of a Western. But once he smashed Durier into that bar, there would be no more snickering. I've been riding to meet up with a man named Dutch Henry. Whiskey, will you? Hoping to run into him here in Tascosa. Wouldn't happen to know him. I might. How long do you know him? Long enough to tell you how he got that little scar above his right eye. I gave it to him when he was ten. Now you want to give him another? Where is he? Supposing I don't tell you. Then what? And I think that's like the key moment in this movie when Mm -hmm. Jimmy's dark side really comes out. Like that's that's like my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. Where he takes Dan Duryea and twists his arm behind his back and just slams his head Mm -hmm. into the bar. And his Jimmy Stewart's eyes are just like crazy wild eyes. And he's just like, you know, torturing him to find out the information he wants. It's a pivotal point when you have a character almost you you can see the character's character's decision making where do I take action and become violent or right. do I am I a diplomat and do I handle this with my words right and he goes the first path <laughs> yes and that shows the Sith side taking over <laughs> so to speak that's right he's like this yeah, this obsessive quality of him comes out he's like he's yeah. got to find Dutch Henry and he just he doesn't care what he does mm-hmm. to do it it's almost um, something beyond him takes over yes yes something and it's not deep within right yeah. not your traditional white hat western hero right, right. at this point check out this clip of director anthony mann discussing jimmy stewart's character in the film he was a man who could kill his own brother so therefore he was not really a hero i mean after all uh, he went out to destroy the man who, who who killed his father and it happened to be his brother so he killed his brother this is as powerful a kind of a strong yarn as you can tell the, the, it was a man with a purpose really more than just a hero he was a man who said, I want to go from here to here, and did, even though a million things could happen in between that. He always got there. This is, uh, and so therefore you don't need to necessarily say it's a hero, but you say it's a man with a purpose. 
and the man with a purpose who gets somewhere. I think this is also something that's very, uh, that audiences uh, <clears throat> love to see, because they love to see people who accomplish something, as opposed to many, so many people who don't have the chance or given the opportunity to, to accomplish something. Therefore, I think in that sense, it's not really a, so much a hero, but you can call him a hero in a sense. I have a feeling that audiences don't like uh, heroes anymore. They're much more interested in anti-heroes. This is the first, really the first real time you get a, Jimmy, a look at Jimmy Stewart acting this way. Mm -hmm. Like in It's a Wonderful Life during the sequence where he's seeing what life was like if he would never been born. Mm -hmm. You get a little bit of that crazy quality. Yeah. But this is like the first real moment of it. And then I think it would develop through the decade and kind of culminate with uh, Vertigo at the end of the yes. decade with Hitchcock, <clears throat> with his work with Hitchcock. Because you have to imagine this is something that Jimmy Stewart has within him. I mean, yes, we all have yes. something like this within him. He is not the sugar-sweet person. Right, the Mr. Nice that, guy. That person does not exist. No, no. And he's just finally given a chance to show his range. Yeah, and then Stewart had another Western out that year, Broken Arrow, directed by Delmer Days, but it had not been released yet, so that kind of would explain where audiences were coming from mm -hmm. at the time. And this Western, the psychological complexity added to Stewart's character, I think, started the modern western in the, mm. of the 50s the more darker psychologically complex western mm -hmm. um stagecoach had returned the western to the to the a genre it in the you know 1939 but by the end of the 40s it was kind of in a, in a downturn again despite great movies from ford and hawks in mm -hmm. the decade and this movie sort of kick-started it and led to a huge boom in westerns in the 50s like what would you say it anticipates everything from like the searchers to everything in the genre was yeah. was you know much darker and and you know left-handed gun or you know darker characters mm -hmm. gunfight at okay corral even more serious dramas as opposed to this sort of yes wild fanciful just fantasy. shoot them up yeah, yeah yeah more more complex characters mm -hmm. i mean even Less the children's movies more adult movies. yeah to go off that the review at the time by bosley crowther mm -hmm. famous uh critic uh-huh he said that they've got a new angle for westerns it's no longer cowboy loves horse nor even cowboy loves girl a motivation which is widely frowned upon is sissy stuff. This new dramatic angulation might be labeled cowboy loves gun, and it provides quite as much inspiration as any cowboy horse romance. The Warners used it boldly in their recent Colt 45, and now Universal has employed it in Winchester 73. Mm. A whoop-de-doo cowboy picture. <laughs> That's a good quote. Do you want to go see it after that? <laughs> yes. Oh, Bosley. Yeah, but so even at the time, it was seen as that. This, this isn't a, a recent view right, of the right. time. They could tell something was changing. People were recognizing yeah. this at the time, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, and, and sort of this culminates in, like, you know, the Bud Bedecker westerns at the end mm -hmm. of the decade with Randolph Scott. And another actor leads into who, Peckinpah as well. But Randolph Scott, another actor who I think's image yes. changed in that he was seen as sort of the idyllic, perfect hero. And you see different shades uh, coming out in those movies. Yes, exactly. Yeah, he gets to be more complex yeah. in those movies. Yeah. yeah. And I guess we should talk about Anthony Mann and Jimmy Stewart together. This was their first film together. They would make, between 1950 and 1955, they would make eight films together, five of them westerns. It's really a fruitful collaboration, mm -hmm. and, and really in such a short time period. Um, they would follow this up with Bend of the River, The Naked Spur, The Far Country, and The Man from Laramie, which are all solid you know mm -hmm. great westerns um they also did the glenn miller story which i think was their biggest money maker together i can see that yeah and they also made a film called thunder bay and um 
Strategic Air Command, which is sort of a, a commercial, an expensive commercial yeah. for the Air Force in a way. Well remembered, all yes. of those. <laughs> that was uh, people oh. listening to the podcast that was not looking at notes or anything. <laughs> Man had started out as a B movie director, just doing kind of non distinguishable programmers. And then he started making a few low budget film noirs. And that's really where he found his footing and, and made some really classic great movies like Team In and Raw Deal, Desperate, uh, Side Street, Border Incident, which is sort of a Western noir, modern day Western noir. And then he. Uh, graduated to westerns basically in 1950 he had three westerns out that year winchester um the furies with barbara stanwyck and uh the devil's doorway which is an excellent western as well and then he sort of spent the 50s making westerns basically and then graduated in the 60s to epics he was the first director on spartacus mm-hmm. got fired a couple weeks in because <laughs> he didn't get along with kirk apparently although they would make a movie together later hmm. um and then did follow the roman empire and el Cid and uh, some other movies can I pop in with a little non-movie-related trivia about Man? Yes. His background, when he was three, his parents returned to his father's native Austria, leaving Man behind at the like cult commune where they lived, Loma Land. Whoa. Where, and yeah, and uh, his mom did not return until he was fourteen, and only then, at the urging of a cousin <clears throat> who had uh, paid him a visit and was worried about his situation in in this cult commune loma land wow yeah what a crazy life yeah <laughs> that's how you end up in hollywood yes that's right <laughs> that will send you unfortunately there. <laughs> um you don't think about that early there being i know it's like of... this not even the 60s right. you know yeah <laughs> that's crazy yeah what else? oh and then man and stewart uh they had a bit of a falling out uh after man from laramie they were prepping a film called Night Passage, another Western, and Man dropped out like a few weeks before shooting was supposed to begin, and it pissed off Jimmy Stewart, and it basically caused a rift between the two of them Then they never worked together again. I don't know if they ever spoke again or, or sealed their, you know, reunited their mm-hmm. friendship or whatever, but uh, yeah, they would never work again. Supposedly... Stewart wanted to take more control over the project and wanted to include several songs where he sings and plays the accordion, which he does in the movie. Yeah. Um, and Mann objected to this and also felt that the script was weak and Jimmy Stewart's character was much less complex than their previous mm-hmm. co- collaborations. So he bailed and instead went and did The Ten Star with uh, Jimmy Stewart's good friend Henry Fonda. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that caused any bad blood. But the movie, if you watch Night Passage, it very much looks like it could have been an Anthony Mann movie mm-hmm. from the cast and the location, the mountains and that kind of thing. And, and Dan Duryea's in it mm-hmm. and and a lot of uh, regular Mann uh, collaborators. But yeah, it's unfortunate they didn't ever work together again. Yeah. yeah. And Mann had a long, cherished Western project he wanted to make, a Western adaptation of King Lear with John Wayne starring. Which, Whoa. Yeah. Which I guess would have been like Ron, the Kurosawa yeah. movie. So. That could have been tr- huh. interesting, yeah. But it never happened. Isn't, is Broken Lance? I guess Broken Lance is kind of a yeah. king lear. Maybe that's why he didn't do it. Did, it's it, too did similar. It, okay, it was just too similar. It wasn't like it became that. No, I don't think so. Okay. I think it's probably yeah. just a, too similar of a project. You can take any of the great dramas. doesn't matter whether it's Shakespeare, whether matter with uh, Greek plays or what. You can always lay them in, in the West and they somehow become alive. And, they, and this kind of passion and this, this drama, you can have patricide, every kind of side, uh, you know, in a Western, and you can get away with it because it is, uh, it's sort of uh, where all action took place. 
but man did a few other westerns in the 50s without jimmy stewart uh as i said the 10 star and man of the west with gary cooper which might be my favorite of his westerns i'm not sure it's i, I sort of vacillate between them and then uh, the last frontier with victor mature and robert preston and to get ready for the role in this film uh Authenticity was really important to both actor and director, to both right. Stewart and Mann. And he really wanted to, Jimmy Stewart really wanted to become well familiarized with the weapon of the yes. of the title. Right. Um, so he practiced for hours. Mann later said that Stewart was magnificent walking down the street with a Winchester rifle cradled in his arm. And he was great to actually firing the gun. He studied hard at it. His knuckles were raw with practicing. It was those sorts of things that helped make the film look so authentic, gave it its sense of reality. Right. That's yeah. I mean, he does look great with it. And he handles it well. Mm-hmm. We and that goes about... along with him being believable as a Western hero. Yes, as a cowboy. As a cowboy yeah. That he actually put the effort into it and made changes. I guess as an actor to fit himself into this world. Yes, to to be believable. Mm-hmm. And it's like that final shootout between he and and Steve McNally. Yeah. I mean, he handles that rifle amazingly. Like, mm-hmm. It looks natural to him. It looks like it fits in his hands yeah. like a glove. You know, it's 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 a great scene. Here's an interview of Anthony Mann in 1967 talking about that kind of authenticity that he looks for in his films. What you see is the only truth. And if you can make it all what the audience see as real and as truthful, then you, you don't have to say things. If you ever asked anybody in an audience what an actor said or an actress said, they would never know. But what they have done, or some piece of business, or some moment, they can tell you vividly because they've seen it. I've actually done all my films practically. If I possibly can, I do them. All on location, you can't always. But uh, because there's a reality, there's a great, great sense of reality. Because actors don't, they, 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 they're not bothered by the silence of a studio and the, and the scenery and so forth. They're involved because they have to run up a flight of stairs or they have to walk down the street and the wind is blowing or the rain is raining or whatever is happening, they become more alive and more real because they are de- they're with the elements. They're, they're battling the elements. And if, for instance, Westerns, of course, this is the great thing about Westerns because you do all the picture on location. And if an actor has to run up a hill, he has to pant. Now in the studio, it's very difficult for an actor to pant properly. You know, he fakes it, but it doesn't, it's never real. It never, his blood doesn't rush to his head. And therefore he's, um, he's less uh, active. He's, he's, he's less vibrant. And all these things help in creating a film. Um, and we should talk about, I guess, the trick shooting scene yes. early on. Yeah. They, uh, so there's a scene where he's shooting uh, like a, a stamp out of a piece of jewelry, like a little with a hole in it. Yeah. And that was actually really done. They had a, a expert marksman from the Winchester Company come out, and he would basically shoot over Jimmy Stewart's shoulder out of camera and and shoot the uh, stamp out of the, uh, the 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 money or whatever it was they were shooting. It was the piece of the necklace. Oh, the necklace. That's from right. The Indian. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Which is crazy impressive yes, that that can yes. happen but it's also a little bit of a disappointment to me that you can't really tell that it's real the it's way it's true. shot like there's a lot of cutting <laughs> the angle is weird where you can't really see it happening and there's like the angle is like behind jimmy stewart over his shoulder but low and so you can even, s- well go ahead i think you can see it launched into the air but i don't even know if you can see it like hit yeah it's not really that convincing. It could just be, oh, somebody's pulling a string. It doesn't really look like... I would have had no idea. Yeah, me yeah. either. Yeah. 
It's funny, when I read that, I was like, oh, they yeah. actually did do this. Right. But that scene at the end where they're shooting out among the rocks is really well done. Yes. And, um, I mean, we're not the first to point this out, that it's just a masterful display of the directing yes, of Anthony yes. Mann, that you know where everyone is situated, you know the location, you mm-hmm. know what's at stake, can you know very easily tell who has the high ground. Uh, right. The choreography is great, yeah. and the shot selection. And, and, and uh, all the while, a very emotional scene is happening as they talk about their past and right. their father. And as these two guys the, are brothers, yeah. Yes. Spoiler. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, the sort of trauma that happens yes, yeah. between them. Yeah. I kind of, just to focus on that scene at the end, I am a little disappointed in uh, Dutch Henry? Yeah, in Dutch Henry's downfall. I feel like he makes a really stupid move at the end. He and does. just lets himself, <laughs> you know, takes himself out of the cover. Yeah. Which maybe I guess that just shows he's going for broke in that one. He just, yeah. He wasn't getting anywhere, so maybe he had to go for it. Yeah. But yeah, he does leave himself vulnerable. Yes. And uh, Jimmy takes advantage of the opportunity. I think his father would have been, would have been disappointed. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I think he would have taught him better. <laughs> Um, I mean, he really would have been disappointed that one son killed the other that, son. That's true. <laughs> that's a different... <laughs> and that his son killed him. But... Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, should we uh, talk about the cast? Yeah. So um, the female lead in this is uh, young Shelley Winters. What did you think of her in the film? Uh, she's memorable. I wouldn't want to mess with her. Yeah. <laughs> with her character. She's formidable, Which I yeah. think is a, a generally a uh, Shelley Winters performance, in yes. my opinion. Because yes. I would not want to mess with her. <laughs> she's not a weak character no. or any by any means. No. Yeah. I mean, she is being passed around from right, man to right. man, but I, that's the nature of the character. Yeah. I mean, I th- like you say, I think she is still strong in that performance. Yes, definitely. Nonetheless. And she is she is finding out information. She finds out that the two men are brothers. She sort of stands up to Durier. Yes, and- yeah. And to Dutch. Yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't back down. She's not no. intimidated by them, no. despite the fact that they're more than willing to shoot slap whatever right. you know they're awful awful characters um shelly she was worried when she got signed on to this film that uh when she found out that both she and jimmy stewart both thought that their uh best side was to be photographed from the left she just she assumed that because he was the star uh she would have to yield to the, in the close-ups as she later said a couple of left profiles don't make for a convincing love scene when the two of them are staring off in the same direction uh since he was the star i knew who would be to- told to turn right I couldn't have been more wrong. Once Tony Mann came up to me and said that Jimmy wanted me to be shot from the left because he knew that the whole thing was making me anxious. Naturally, Jimmy never said a word to me directly. Having two, having a love scene with two left profiles would be very art house. <laughs> yes. I would be very impressed to see that. <laughs> that would be like uh, some French New Wave stuff Although or something. Although it might be a little pretentious. It might be. <laughs> um, but that, I think, says a lot about Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, that he... No ego. No ego is willing to concede to her and, and yeah. make her Maybe feel relaxed. Maybe a little relaxed. ego for Shelly. Yes. <laughs> but he didn't want her upset yeah. and anxious on the set. And uh, later she said about the movie, I don't think she was that uh, <laughs> proud of the effort. Um, she said, here you've got all these men running around trying to get their hands on this goddamn rifle <laughs> instead of going after a beautiful blonde like me. What does that tell you about the values of that picture? If I hadn't have been in it, would anybody have noticed? <laughs> That's a great quote. Yeah. That's very uh, Shelley Winters. It is. Yeah. Just speaking her honest truth. Yes. And to a degree. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. It's not wrong. Along those lines, in my head, uh, I wanted to play a little uh, kiss, Mary kill with her um, <laughs> suitors yeah. in this film. Oh, so yeah. you've got Jimmy Stewart, Dan Duryea, and uh, Charles Drake. 
Yes, yes. Uh, who plays Steve, yes. who's her original lover. Right, right. Uh, are they getting married? Married? They're, they're going to get married, yeah. They're going to get married, and he shows himself to be a real coward. Yes. <laughs> and then Durier kind of steals her, but really she finds she's kind of in love or enamored with Jimmy Stewart. Right. So I have yes. my order. Do you? <laughs> I don't. Not, not that you would really have an opinion on this, but... No, I had not even thought of this. <laughs> what is your order? I think kiss... Durier, marry Stuart, yeah. and kill Charles Drake, yeah, because yeah. he's, he's unworthy. A, he's a weasel, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's, he's, he's a coward. He's so much worse than yeah. Durier. Durier's awful, but at least he's uh, amusing. He's interesting, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think he knows what he wants in life. Yeah. He'll stop at nothing to get it. That's true. He'll take care of his woman, I feel. I think so, yeah. Whereas Steve... Steve will run and hide. Oh, He'll turn turn yellow, yeah. as they say. Should we talk about Dan Duryea a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I think he's great in this movie. Um, he's barely in it. At least like 20 minutes, yeah. I think. Uh, he, I could, he's Waco Johnny Dean, which is a great, oh, yeah. <laughs> a great character name. Don't seem right for people to go around killing nice folks. Like he's not people. He's Waco Johnny Dean. Uh, he's so squirrely and awful and just backstabbing and it's and, the kind of Duryea you want yes it's exactly what you mm-hmm. want and Duryea I think was really versatile he could do film noir and western uh, just as easily I agree yes in you, as far as he can fit any genre but yeah. I feel like he plays the same type of character he does so that's he's not true. versatile I feel like in that way or he's not given the opportunity to be true versatile. there's a few films where he plays like a, a hero or the lead yeah but yeah generally he's this kind of character I think he's yeah. reliable in that yes aspect. oh this is this is his sweet spot yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, he's got this down, yeah. I have a great quote from him when he was interviewed by Hedda Hopper in the uh-huh. early 1950s, so possibly around the same time this movie was coming out. Mm-hmm. He said, well, first of all, let's set the stage or goal I set for myself when I decided to become an actor. Not just an actor, but a successful one. I looked in the mirror and knew with my puss and 155-pound weakling body, <laughs> I couldn't pass for a leading man, and I had to be different. And I sure had to be courageous. So I chose to be the meanest SOB in the movies. Strictly against my mild nature, as I'm an ordinary, peace-loving husband and father. <laughs> Inasmuch I had, as, as I admired fine actors like Richard Widmark, Victor Mature, Ro- uh, Robert Mitchum, and others who had made their early marks in the dark, sordid, and guilt-ridden world of film noir, here indeed was a market for my talents. I thought the meaner I presented myself, the tougher I was with women, slapping them around in well-produced films where evil and death seemed to lurk in every nightmare alley and behind every Venetian blind and every seedy apartment. <laughs> I could find a market for my screen characters. At first it was very hard, as I am a very even-tempered guy, but I used to use my past life experiences to motivate me as I thought about some of the people I hated in my early life, as well as later life. Like the school bully who used to try and beat the hell out of me at least once a week. A sadistic family doctor that believed feeling pain when he treated you was the birthright of every man and as much as women suffered giving birth. Little incidents with trade people who enjoyed acting superior because they owned their business, overcharging you. Then the one I used when I had to slap a woman around was easy. I was slapping the overbearing teacher who would fail you in their holier-than-thou class and enjoy it and especially the experiences I had dealing with the unbelievable, pompous, know-it-all experts that I dealt with during my advertising agency days. Almost going nuts trying to please these corporate heads until I finally got out of that racket. Wow. What was I saying? You were talking about yourself. Where did I stop? You didn't, but you can now. Sounds like you didn't actually have to dig very deep. No, (laughs) I think (laughs) that could be my reading of it, but it sounds like there's a lot of pent-up anger in there. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, he lets it Very out. even-tempered yes. guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, he lets it out in the right way on screen yeah. where it's, you know, make And believe. it's totally, I, I love, though, the idea of this guy knowing who he is, what yeah. he looks like. And yes. it's like, there's a niche for me and I'm going to find it. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. He, he was great in so many movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To any aspiring actors out there, <laughs> you may not be the Harrison Ford. Right. But you could be Dan Durier. You could Durier. be a Dan Yeah. And I and love. believe in yourself. Yeah. I love Dan Durier. He's me one too, of my yeah. favorite character actors. Yeah. That, I mean, that scene, I keep going back to that scene in the bar where Jimmy Stewart slams him mm-hmm. into it. Like, when he Jimmy Stewart first asks him what's going on, and he's so cocky and just like, so what if I don't tell you? Uh-huh. <laughs> and he has no idea what's in store for him. It's yeah. just so great. Like, it's almost like I want to call this movie a Dan Durier movie, even though he shows up like an hour ten into it, and right. he's only around for like 20 minutes. But he dominates the section he's in. Yeah. But really, we leave Jimmy Stewart for most of that section. We do. Yeah. That's true. <clears throat> and... And Durier does interact with every character, I think. He, yeah. He gets with Dutch. He gets with Jimmy. Steve. He gets with Steve yeah. and Shelly. Yeah. So they all cross paths yeah. with him. Just That's like true. they all cross paths with Winchester 73. With the Winchester. <laughs> Should we talk about some of the other actors yes. in this movie? Will Gear plays Wyatt Earp in the opening scene in Dodge City. And you're not a fan of this portrayal. Well, he he does not seem like he's well cast. And he also said that he thought he was miscast as, as Wyatt Earp. He well, was, he's too old for it, He's right? too old. And, uh, and people may know him as the grandpa on the Waltons. Mm-hmm. He just seems too old and kind of flabby. And, and he's supposed <laughs> to be this intent. Like when he says his name, mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart's about to stand up to him. And mm-hmm. when he says his name he backs down but he doesn't seem intimidating in any way (laughs) he's much too rustic and uh yeah if anyone is looking for a will gear impressionist you have my number she's right here yeah (laughs) oh might as well drop off your guns here at the office that's happened now wait a minute you must have a real good reason to ask a man to do a fool thing like that we don't allow anybody to wear guns in dodge city and you noticed who's we oh didn't i introduce myself (laughs) Oh, where in the... Where'd I put that thing? I had here someplace. Man get himself killed hiding his badge like that. I'm the marshal. Quiet up. But, uh, I mean, it's a small part in the movie, so it's it not is. a... It's a minor complaint, but... You know, there's Millard Mitchell who plays Jimmy Stewart's sidekick, uh, High Spade, Frankie Wilson. He's uh, entertaining in this, I think. Yeah. I liked him. High um, Spade with a hyphen. Yes, that's right. <laughs> he uh, would later show up in uh, The Naked Spur mm-hmm. with Anthony Mann. You might also recognize him from singing in the rain. Yeah, that's yeah. that's my main point for him. Millard Fillmore Mitchell. <laughs> Is that his, uh, yeah, that's his real That's name. a good name. Yeah. Uh, J.C. Flippin, who plays the cavalry sergeant. He uh, is in a number of Anthony Mann films, including uh, The Far Country and Bend of the River. Uh, he's a solid character actor. I don't know if you knew him before. I'm sure he looked familiar. I couldn't place him. Yeah. He was delightful in yeah, this. Yeah. I love his interaction <laughs> with Shelley where she kisses him and yeah. it's because he's pretty. <laughs> Those scenes are really amusing, yeah. yeah. Man, I'm sure glad we run into you. Hiya. Mind if I help you down, ma'am? Do you mind if I kiss you? No, ma'am. I'd like it, providing your man don't mind. But you're saving my life. Now you disappoint me. I thought it was because I'm pretty. Uh, got some coffee boiling on the fire. Want to just sort of help yourself? Oh, coffee. You know, now that I look at you, you are pretty. And then we should mention uh, the cavalry soldiers. There's a young tony curtis mm-hmm. in there billed as anthony yeah and then they confront uh 
famous indigenous actor yes rock hudson <laughs> rock hudson as young bull mm-hmm. yeah he's okay i mean yeah he's fine yeah it's a small part it, he's not believable as an indian no <laughs> but, but no he plays it well yeah he's he, an intimidating but like respectful young bull well, sorry to see you all wearing war paint what's the matter trouble between the tribe we will look at the guns Worn out. They are not the guns of which we spoke. Well, I'll admit they're not Winchesters, but everyone's a repeater and they'll all shoot true. You lie. If you were a white man, I wouldn't take that. But you're an Indian, so... Yes, I am an Indian. So it is wise to listen in silence while you wait to cheat me. All white men are thieves. In peace, they steal our land. In war, they kill our women. And you are a white man. And this movie, like, it takes place just after the Custer Massacre. All the characters are kind of talking about it as news has sort of reached them out here. Right. If you want my gold, bring me the guns with which Crazy Horse and the Sioux of the North made their war at the Little Bighorn. Then you know about Custer, huh? This is gun I want. There isn't enough money in your whole tribe to buy that gun. This is gun I want. And John McIntyre, who plays the Indian trader who trades trading rifles to the uh, to the Indians, he's good in it. Yeah. I like that scene with him and Dutch Henry and his boys in the little trading yeah. post where they're gambling and and that's a good scene i think one of the better scenes you've in the got movie. a poker scene which yes is poker a, scene yes yeah, stand by in a western always all the uh the classic moments and a beginner's luck but i didn't know it could be this good that clean you up yeah well at least we yet i'm about to give mine back i could act like an engine trader and lower the price but i won't Offer still gold, 300 in gold for your Winchester, whatever you pick. No deal. I'm a very patient man, Dutch, but you're talking like a fool. Get in the gun. I said no deal. Be smart. It's a long, hungry ride to Tascosa without money. Again, I don't want to sound like an engine trader, but with all that smoke in the hills and you with no guns. Why don't you shh? The man's right. Give him a gun. You bought a gun. Your deal. Aren't you ever satisfied? Not till I get my gun back. Deal. Want me to pick out one for you, Dutch? Find one of their old crack open in my face. You got any Winchesters? Ah, oh, there's nothing here but a bunch of junk. I won't need a rifle. Just get me a six gun. It's gonna cost you 300 to draw cards. Well, we weren't playing for that kind of money. Playing table stakes, aren't we? 300 to draw cards. Well, I may be foolish, but I feel lucky. How many? I'll play these. Now, I don't feel so lucky. <laughs> you bet? Give me guts. No, no. Table stakes. 
Case is full on eights. Just missed being a dead man's hand. <laughs> Not enough. Four trays. Drop it. One on the house before you leave. Who said I was leaving? You're leaving. Don't forget your shells. You may need them. To go back to your uh, Tony Curtis, those yeah. the cavalry. <laughs> With his Brooklyn there's accent. There's your, your not um, a Western character. No, no. Really <laughs> sticking out like yeah. a sore throat. He has two or three lines that really stand out. Mm-hmm. They don't seem like they're... No. I mean, granted, he's supposed to be coming west from, from Pennsylvania yeah. or something, but still. And he's like a young soldier. Right. And he's green and... True. Hey, Sarge! Look at this. Look what I found on this one. And then James Best is also one of the soldiers. I don't think he has any lines, um, but he's people would know him from the Dukes of Hazard TV show and lots and lots of other westerns. And so we should talk about the screenwriter, uh, the second screenwriter, Borden Chase, who came in. the The original story was from a story by Stuart Lake, who famously wrote Frontier Marshal, the Wyatt Earp story, who kind of made Wyatt Earp famous and and you know came up with a lot of false stories about him and and stuff um but but chase came in and did this the rewrite on the script and he was a uh western novelist and screenwriter he wrote the screenplay for red river um yeah (laughs) (laughs) so he has a big background he also wrote uh scripts for man uh for bend of the river in the far country and both of those films sort of take elements from the screenplay from Red River and use them a little bit. He also uh, worked on Vera Cruz and Man Without a Star, the King Vidor, Kirk Douglas Western. Uh, so he has, you know, his hands in the 50s Westerns. You know, he's he's a, a major influence in that. I just wanted to add a little fun fact about his nom de plume. Yes. That's not Borden Chase. It's not his, it's not his real name. name. Supposedly it came from Borden Milk and Chase Manhattan Bake. Really? Yeah. That's a, that's a solid name. It's a weird place to get a name from. It is, but, but you know. Yeah. Two successful companies. Sure, I guess. <laughs> Become a successful screenwriter. Yes. <laughs> I'll call myself Walmart Amazon. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. Let's talk about the DP, uh, William H. Daniels. He had been uh, Greta Garbo's personal cinematographer. Yeah. That's a thing? Uh, yeah. He shot 21 films for Garbo. And uh, Sinatra liked him so much, he worked with him first on Some Came Running, that he used him on nine subsequent films after that. Wow. Uh, yeah. So he was Frank Sinatra's personal Yes, he was. <laughs> wow. And uh, he also shot part of uh, Eric von Stroheim's Greed. So, like, you know, yeah. colossal uh, films here these guys worked Dealing on. Dealing with real egos, yes, too. Yes, like some of the biggest egos in the business. Wow. Yeah, so he must have uh, must have been quite a guy. Mm. Yeah, and he shot a couple of other uh, the, what, the films for Anthony Mann, I think all the Universal ones. That's that's a pretty impressive resume. It is, yeah. yeah. So And the movie looks great, I thought. Yeah. Especially in the 4K that we saw. The, <laughs> yes. Uh, the new restoration. Shout out there. And then I also wanted to talk about uh, Jimmy Stewart's horse in the movie. Mm. Uh, the horse's name was Pie. This is the first time they worked together. Like apple pie. Yes. Okay. Yeah, like apple pie. He was a sorrel, half quarter horse, half Arabian. And Stewart loved the horse. He called it one of his the best co-stars I ever had. Um, after filming was complete, he tried to buy it, but the owner uh, refused to sell, but told Jimmy Stewart that he could use it whenever he wanted. And they worked together over the next 20 years, uh, I think on almost every Western he did. When, and the horse died in 1970. Uh, Jimmy Stewart arranged to have it buried on his ranch. And Stewart's good friend Henry Fonda did a painting of the horse, which hung on his mantle for, until the, the rest of his life. Oh. But I thought that was interesting. That's that's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart and Pie. Yeah. 
they worked together uh like on 17 films or something wow. crazy like that well, i think favorite yeah. co-star yeah maybe we should end on that note yeah, on that's a, a nice, nice little horse story <laughs> That's really what the West is all about, a man and his horse. Yeah, this is, but this is um, an important Western for the collaboration between man and Stewart. The dark, you know, the dark psychological complex nature of the character um, that would lead through the 50s. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think you don't have movies like Veracruz and, and that kind of thing. The Searchers, which I think leads into Peckinpah's characters. And then Leone's characters, mm-hmm. where your heroes are just completely cynical and and motivated completely for themselves and stuff and i think that sort of starts here interesting yeah Yeah. what else you have any other thoughts on this one all right (laughs) i guess that's it for uh for this episode so we'll be back hopefully soon with another uh classic western so that's all from me felicity him clarence and the spirit of pie the horse (laughs) happy trails (laughs) 